Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. Now you just need to, you just need to get a, a, some glasses and shave your head and, and start talking about vegetables, dude. <laughs> 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 anyway, Ben, thanks for coming, man. I, I hope you're feeling better. I heard you 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 get you kind of you got got, got uh, what is it, Giardi or something like that, and uh, hopefully you recover yeah. out, out in the out in the crazy out in the wilderness drinking swamp water or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, I thought it was just pristine creek water, and I I handmade a water filter and wound up getting beaver fever. <laughs> you know when you sent that email i had thought back because i just did a race in in san diego a while ago and there was a couple stretches in the middle where they had a pretty long long break between aid stations and i kind of undercalculated how much water to bring and i found myself filling one of my bottles up in a, in a creek and, and it's like high desert so it's probably not super safe to be drinking out of that stuff but i was I took a risk and luckily I came out of it with no issues, but I could have ended up like you, I guess, and gotten, gotten some Giardia, but at least that probably would have taken effect after the race and not during it. Yeah. Well, I had two weekends in a row where I was out in the wilderness. One was a, a bow hunting competition and the other one was the survival course. And so I don't know what, you know, cause that stuff can sit dormant for a while. So I don't know mm. what it was, but either way it sucked. Well, hopefully you're back. You're back to full speed, so so we can we can uh, get some good information for you. Hey Ben, just uh, you know, most people I, I would assume have kind of heard of you, but can you just give us a quick background, like five minutes summary of, of your kind of background for people that may not have heard about you before? Yeah, I um I went to University of Idaho where I studied exercise physiology and biomechanics, and uh, um kind of dabbled in a whole bunch of different sports in college. Played tennis and played for the, the water polo team, the men's volleyball team, and uh, kind of got into bodybuilding. And uh, after bodybuilding a couple of years in that, I, uh, I shifted into endurance sports and spent about a decade competing in, in Ironman and triathlon. And uh, now I race uh, in uh, obstacle course racing, uh, like Spartans and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I've, I've – uh, you know, ever since I was a teenager, just always studied exercise, fitness, uh, nutrition, and, and um, you know, coming out of college after getting my master's degree, uh, I thought about medical school. I got a pre-med and got accepted to a bunch of medical schools, but opted to work in the private sector uh, in hip and knee surgical sales for about a year, and then branched out from that and started opening up a bunch of personal training studios and gyms in Washington and Idaho. And, uh, in 2008, I was voted, uh, as America's top personal trainer. And that kind of thrust me into the limelight of doing a lot more like speaking and traveling and consulting. And so I wound up getting a lot more into that side of things. You know, I started a podcast and, 
uh, started a blog and, and started doing a lot more kind of distance consulting and coaching and uh, writing books and honestly doing a lot more of the, the kind of media stuff that I do now. Um, so these days I spend most of my time uh, consulting and coaching with a small number of individuals, investing in companies in the health and fitness and nutrition space, um, running key on my, my supplements company, uh, working on books, uh, and then I continue to, to podcast and write articles. And uh, yeah, just live out here in, uh, in Washington State. My wife and twin boys and I live uh, on about 10 acres out here and uh, raise most of our own food, chickens and goats and, uh, you know, big, big uh, garden. And, um, you know, I'm, I, uh, I hunt a lot of our meat and uh yeah so that's that's what i do yeah ben i think uh you know one thing that i that interests me about you is just like you've been kind of in the podcasting world for quite some time in fact i oftentimes get asked a question about kind of my own training and and listening to podcasts and things like that and i usually share a story about how back in 2011 i was almost feeling guilty about how much time i was spending out running training for ultra marathons. And uh, one of the ways I started to justify that was to listen to some podcasts while I was running and kind of try to learn and get the workout done and not feel quite as guilty about investing that much time. And your podcast uh, was one of the first ones I kind of got connected to and it kind of uh, drew me down certain ways and, and things and opened my mind to a few different ideas and stuff like that. So uh, it was, uh, it's pretty cool to have you on the show now to get to kind of hear about kind of the stuff you're up to and, and uh how we got to where you are yeah it's kind of funny alex hussington uh has has been uh writing about that a little bit outside magazine of late about this idea of challenging your brain you know in his case particularly prior to exercise engaging in a lot of these cognitive performance and executive function tasks to train the mind to become more resistant to central nervous system fatigue during exercise but I have a hunch that even like listening to podcasts or audiobooks or things like that, instead of, you know, hard driving techno music or butt rock while you're out, I think may actually serve kind of a similar effect. You know, I've, I've found sometimes, you know, if I'm listening to a podcast or an audiobook while I'm, while I'm exercising, you know, it seems like my brain is working just as hard as my body at sometimes. And so, yeah, you only get smarter, but I think it, you know, it may have a little bit of a, a neuroplasticity effect as well. Ben, what was it when you when you did the hip and knee stuff? What company were you working with? Just out of curiosity, remember? Biomet. Oh, Biomet. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. used to I used to put a lot of their total total shoulders into people. A pretty yeah. good company. And then I, I I didn't know that the water polo stuff most people don't know about. But that's a pretty damn violent sport. You know, I mean. <laughs> oh, dude, I think that's the strongest. I mean, you, you know, when I I weigh about one eighty now. When I was bodybuilding, I was a two fifteen. And so, uh, you know, I was pretty strong, uh, but I think probably the strongest my legs have ever been in my life between like cycling and running and bodybuilding and everything else was playing water polo, just that egg beater kick, you know, and I played whole, whole set. So a lot of times I'd have, you know, some 200 pound guy on my back while I was treading water. Yeah, I, I, I really think that was the strongest my legs have ever been was playing water polo in college. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's some of these sports that people like, you know, don't know much about, you know, you find the, the amazing amount, amount of athleticism, like, you know, like Olympic bobsled, for instance, I mean, these guys are just phenomenal 
physical specimens. I mean, they're, I mean, it's just huge strength, explosivity, you know, and I've seen that with a number of these sports. And so it's I'm always impressed when people do that stuff, but you've been known, I mean, I mean, for among the other things you, you've, you've done a lot of people, uh, you get a lot of attention for some of the kind of, some people think some of the stuff you do is kind of a little bit crazy. It's biohacking, it's extreme experimentation, you know, it's, you know, let's push the envelope a little bit. And for, all the sort of negative press that, that you may get about it, it, you know, some of that's going to pan out for some people. And so it's kind of interesting that, that people are willing to go there, you know, Zach, you know, doing what he does, you know, you know, setting hundred mile world records and, you know, he, he does different things with diet and obviously I do too. And so you have people that are out there in the extreme and, you know, it doesn't always pan out, but I mean, it's good to see. Let me ask you, cause you've probably done, uh, you know, a, you know, sort of more of this, sort of biohacking stuff than most people out there and certainly most people that are that are that are popular about it what kind of things have you tried over the war of the years that were just a flop that didn't work that i mean i'm going to try this because i'm going to try it and, and, and this turned out to be a disaster i don't really have any sexy disaster stories to be honest because i've gotten that question before you know i've, I've never never really effed much up you know as, as far as biohacks go i'm pretty i'm pretty picky choosy about you know, thing, things that I try, like, um, for example, I'm, I'm not a fan of non-native EMF and the effects that, that, uh, some forms of electricity may have on calcium channels and just overall neural function. You know, maybe I'm, I'm, you know, there's, there's some studies that have come out recently showing some people have more genetic susceptibility to, you know, being sensitive to things like Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, but, you know, I'm pretty careful with, you know, different sleep monitoring systems that just emit Wi-Fi under your bed the whole night or, you know, stuff you'd put on your head that's going to just blast your, blast your brain with, with Bluetooth and, and Wi-Fi. And, and so I'm, I'm careful with that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I, I, I really have not done anything. I mean, even getting stem cells injected into my dick for crying out loud, like, nothing nothing's turned purple and black and fallen off and and uh i really i mean i i hate to give a boring answer to your question but like there's not really been any big flops or disasters with with anything that i've done um you know probably probably the the one biggest mistake i made was i did that full body stem cell makeover in park city utah where you know i had my my uh, bone marrow uh, extracted and kind of made a bone marrow soup and had that injected along with exosomes in the you know, rejoint to my body and, uh, and, and underwent uh, uh, platelet rich plasma injections along with that and was under strict doctor's orders not to, not to really do much at all for about two weeks. Uh, and I, I dropped into a Spartan race four days later and raced in a Spartan and, and kind of, kind of blew up my knee a little bit. Uh, and that, that still comes back to haunt me at knee still is still a little buggy, but I mean, that's about the, the, the worst that's happened is a little bit of a biomechanical issue, but really that's about it. I know it's kind of a boring answer, but, but when, when, I, they, were, I really when, they, wrong. when they were harvesting the bone marrow, where did, did they get it from Iliac Crest or where did they, where did you, where did you get the, where was a donation? Yeah. Site yeah bilateral. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually that whole protocol, I had the video camera on. So that whole protocol is on YouTube somewhere. You can watch the whole surgery. Yeah. I've, 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 I've taken bone marrow from patients before and, and yeah, I mean, that can be, that can be, 
you know, that, that can be, sometimes that's the worst part of the procedure is, you know, whatever you're trying to fix, you know, that, that's where the most worst pain is. What things have you found? I mean, you know, obviously you try a lot of things, you know, some of them may not pan out. They may, maybe they, maybe your penis doesn't fall off, but maybe it just doesn't work. You're like, Hey, I, it didn't really do much. What things have you found that have been really just game changing, you know, objectively effective because, you know, I, I, I'm very skeptical. I, I find in most stuff out there, like most supplements and most of these things, I think, eh, they probably make 1% difference and they make no difference for all of us, all placebo effect. Have there been any things that you've objectively seen that are, you know, very much a positive uh, benefit that you can, you can quantify and, and say, this is not just, you know, placebo or, you know, hype. Yeah, a few things. Um, First of all, the, this whole new realm of, of peptide therapy, I've gotten a lot of benefit out of, you know, this idea to, that, that some companies are, are now producing these sequences of amino acids that are typically uh, subcutaneous injections, occasionally uh, transdermal topical delivery mechanisms as well. And, uh, you know, so a lot of athletes, for example, might be familiar with peptides such as is BPC-157 or TB-500, um, the, the former to decrease inflammation and in some cases improve angiogenesis uh, to specific areas. And then the you know, TB-500 can work on, uh, on uh, uh, fiber repair, uh, particularly on actin and myosin fibers. And you know th- those can be very efficacious for enhancing recovery, and even BPC one fifty seven, if administered orally, uh, as as kind of a gastric healing peptide that's pretty powerful. But you know now there's a whole host of new peptides coming out. Um, you know for things like uh, cognition or you know others that have antiparasitic or antibacterial activity. Um, and, and uh, you know, for example, of late, I've been trying some peptides such as Cortigen and, and Pinealin and another called Dihexa and another called uh, Cerebrolysine and, and have found a notable cognitive improvements and, you know, just a head that's clear as a bell when I inject these things in the morning. Uh, and, and so uh, peptide therapy is one that's that I've, I've found to be very effective, uh, not only for, for helping joints to heal faster, but also for the, for the cognitive effect. So that's, that's one that that's been a a cool discovery of mine of late. Um, I also saw a pretty notable increase in both total and free testosterone after using uh, this, this uh, photobiomodulation, which is basically a combination of of uh, near infrared and red light therapy at a specific wavelength, about 800 to, to 950 nanometers or so, uh, uh, particularly uh, uh, exposing my, my gonads to red light. Uh, and there, there's a lot of benefits to red light therapy that you can look up, but uh, the, this idea of using it, uh, particularly for testosterone, seemed to have a pretty noticeable effect. So that, that's another one. That was pretty beneficial. Um, uh, another another thing is pulsed electromagnetic field therapy, uh, which which uh, primarily acts uh, as, or traditionally is used for things like uh, stem cell mobilization uh, and then also uh, a decrease in inflammation. But I've found it to be particularly effective in increasing deep sleep levels. Uh, you can actually put these 
pulse electromagnetic field therapy mats uh, under your sheet when you sleep. And, you know, my deep sleep levels are at about 20 to 25%, which are pretty high. And, uh, you know, I, I use that and also something that circulates cold water under my body while I'm asleep called the chili pad. And that one-two combo of, of the cold water and the magnetic fields while I'm asleep, uh, that, that's a real game changer for me as far as deep restorative sleep. So that's another one that I found to be pretty effective. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of others, uh, but, but what, what one other I've been using a lot lately, uh, experimenting with and finding a great deal of benefit as far as muscle maintenance when I travel as much as I do and, you know, generally have access to kind of crappy gyms or just like body weight hotel room workouts is blood flow restriction training, uh, which, you know, was made popular in Japan, known as, as katsu training over there. But, you know, this idea of using kind of a tourniquet to restrict blood flow to the arms and the legs during a workout to concentrate lactic acid and, and get a, a pretty pronounced growth hormone response after the workout is complete. You know, there's some good research on it for, you know, staving off sarcopenia and seniors, et cetera. But I've actually found it to be very effective as a resistance training modality. And so, so I travel quite a bit with those straps and I even have this big machine now in my home gym called a, a Vasper, which basically tourniquets both the arms and the legs and then circulates cold water into the arms and the legs so you can exercise at an even, even uh, higher rating of perceived exertion and, or higher intensity with a lower rating of perceived exertion from the cold. And, um, you know, you do like a brief 21 minute high intensity interval training workout on this thing. And it's, uh, it's very effective. Uh, so, so using blood flow restriction training for both cardio and for strength, I found that to be another kind of cool modality of late. Now for a word from our sponsors. This episode of human performance outliers is brought to you by kettle and fire bone broth. Kettle and Fire has taken it upon themselves to create a broth as high quality as if you made it from scratch from home, but without the long hours of slow cooking it yourself. I've personally been drinking bone broth since I first read about it back in 2012, but when Kettle and Fire first started making their broth, I became an instant fan. It has all the benefits of my made-from-scratch version, but without the 24-hour slow cooking process. The bones they use always come from organic, grass-fed sources. I'll drink it straight out of the carton or use it to slow cook a roast. If interested in more potential health benefits of bone broth, check out chriscresser.com forward slash the bountiful benefits of bone broth, a comprehensive guide. If you like what you see, check out Kettle and Fire and let us know how you used your broth. For 15% off, head over to kettleandfire.com forward slash Zach. That's K-E-T-T-L-E-A-N-D-F-I-R-E dot C-O-M forward slash Z-A-C-H for 15% off. Now, back to the show. Yep, Ben, you know, like some of the things you talked about, maybe not so much the blood flow stuff, but like the red light stuff. And then if you get like the grounding type of things, I think like people sometimes hear that and they think, okay, this is just crazy. How can I shoot a colored light at myself or stand on ground or put these like these pulse oximeter type things under my bed and that sort of stuff? How does that actually make a difference? But then when you really look into that stuff, it seems to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that it's not so much like it's this 
like a new age technology that like we didn't ever have access to in the past. It's more of uh, all the new age technologies that we've currently put ourselves in have removed us from when we would naturally get that sort of stuff. So like when we would naturally get red light exposure from being outside most of the time or be running around, uh, you know, barefoot or maybe not barefoot, but on ground. Whereas, you know, some people might not even touch grass all day or they may not see the sun hardly at all all day. And some of these seem to be more like, this is something that we've known and we're now we're just trying to bring it into our kind of more modern indoor lifestyles. Am I kind of right on with that sort of stuff? Yeah, I'll, I'll comment on that. And by, by the way, it's not a pulse oximeter that's under my bed. It's, it's a pulsed electromagnetic field therapy device. Uh, the, the two, uh, the two are pretty different. The pulse oximeter would be used just to determine oxygenation levels, but the, the uh, PMF or the pulse electromagnetic field therapy is, is more working to, to uh, open and close calcium channels and, cause a little bit more of a cellular response, but you are correct that, you know, if, if you were living a bit more of an ancestral lifestyle, you know, not stuck in an office all day or, or indoors or, you know, sitting in your car in traffic or on an airplane or whatever, you would, for example, not need a, a pulsed electromagnetic field therapy mat, you know, in your bed because you'd be outside barefoot or perhaps wearing, you know, leather moccasins and and soaking up all the negative ions that the earth naturally emits. Uh, or you'd be, you know, you'd be in an ocean or, or, you know, climbing trees or on rocks or getting access to that type of electromagnetic therapy via more natural means. You know, the same could be said for, for near infrared or for red light. You can get a, a great deal of that from sunlight if, if you are outside much of the time. Um, you know, you see like these fancy cryotherapy chambers popping up all over the place for, for recovery or for fat loss or for, you know, or whatnot. But, you know, jumping in, a, in an icy cold river or lake or ocean is in my opinion, far better and more natural than that. And so a lot of these biohacks can be achieved via natural means. If you're, you know, if you're largely living outdoors, hunting, gathering, gardening, foraging, walking, etc. It's just that, you know, our post-industrial lifestyles a lot of times dictate that, you know, we're, we're stuck indoors and it's, it's almost a matter of, of a kind of simulating what you might get by living a more natural outdoorsy lifestyle and just bringing this stuff in using technology and then B undoing a lot of the damage, uh, from, you know, things like, uh, fi and, and Bluetooth and toxin exposure, you know, and, 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 you know, artificial lighting that kind of throws off the rhythm, all, all these things that kind of can be undone to a certain extent with certain forms of technology. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a combination of both, trying to simulate a natural lifestyle and also undo a lot of the damages of an artificial lifestyle or, or you know, an industrial lifestyle. Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. And I think, uh, you know, one other thing to kind of maybe conclude that, but circle back to some of the stuff we were talking about at the beginning with just podcasting in general is like when you start to get into some of the, the deep dives and kind of the fringe stuff that, that you're able to do on your show, do you find that since you've been around for so long now that it's difficult to kind of get new listeners up to speed when you deep dive into something that's maybe on the fringe, whereas some of your core listeners maybe saw some of the like, you know, you, you, I guess maybe the way I should say is like, you know, a lot of times in the health and fitness industry, the mindset is for a lot of people like, 
well, let's get, take care of the basics first because there's some big movers that most people are doing wrong that you can easily take care of. And then we can start getting into some of this real technical stuff and get you kind of a little bit further along the line once you've kind of taken care of the base work. So do you kind of find like folks that have been listening to your podcast from the very beginning are like connecting those dots a lot more readily and then it's a little harder to have a new listener come in and actually think like, okay, I'm going to do these, these, these biohacks, but they had a lot of foundational stuff that they could have done first or should have done first. Yeah. Look, I mean, like when I first started my podcast, it was pretty much just like me in my office at my personal training studio, highlighting the latest research from uh, primarily the national strength conditioning association, you know, going through like the, the journal of strength conditioning research and talking about, you know, things like close grip versus wide grip bench press or, you know, which abdominal exercise elicited the the highest EMG activity and, you know, the erector spinae or the quadratus lumborum or, you know, just basically going over, you know, very, very basic research-based fitness advice primarily, you know, and, the, and then I would delve sometimes into nutrition, you know, like pre and post-workout nutrition and macronutrient requirements, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, after I spent like, you know, three years or so covering all those bases, I kind of started to open up my podcast to Q&A and I'd get like these fringe questions from listeners, you know, about yeah, whatever, you know, whey protein versus pea protein or, you know, some, some fancy new exercise tool or toy that had been developed and you kind of start to start to cover a lot of the bases. And then as people are, are asking me questions, start to dive into some of the more fringe, lesser known topics. And, you know, then once I covered all of those, then, you know, then, then we enter in this whole new realm of biohacking and supplements and pharmaceuticals and uh you know you know and, and you know things like sound healing and frequencies and quantum physics and protons and and you know it seems that that my podcast has has really started to delve into all of these fringe areas just because I spent so many years covering the bases so yeah if somebody listens to podcast episode whatever 700 it's it's a lot more kind of out there as far as the the um you know the 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 more advanced or the more fringe topics that are covered versus a lot of the basic stuff that I covered early in the day and and so so yeah I mean now when somebody calls in a question to the podcast and says hey what's what's the best version of the bench press to to grow my chest you know is it the dumbbell is it the incline press is it the pec deck or whatever I'm like dude that was info I covered like 10 years ago <laughs> you know so so now let's talk about what frequency of electrical muscle stimulation is best to grow, you know, to, to grow the pec muscles or, or whatever, you know? So, so yeah, you're right. I mean, like, you know, sometimes like a new listener might kind of scratch their head and be like, dude, why is this, why is this guy so far out there as far as the topics he's covering when in fact, you know, I started off pretty basic. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And you know, another, another topic I kind of wanted to talk to you, and I, th I think Sean will hop back in. I think you just lost his connection for whatever reason. Um, he, he disappeared on us. Yeah. If not, I get to be selfish and ask all the questions. But, uh, um, the other thing like I've been getting interested in a little bit more lately is just kind of digestion and, uh, the ways that we've kind of more or less found in modern society to try to kind of hack that a bit. And we had a guest on, uh, not too long ago and I'm not sure, maybe you even interviewed her at, point, at one point, but, uh, Dr. Stacy Sims. And, uh, she was talking about, 
she was talking about just about kind of like how how like the the gut actually behaves when we introduce things like uh, probiotics versus real food. And one of the things that was interesting, I think, is just like. I mean, it's like anything nowadays, like you get a little bit of science around something and then uh, the commercial side of things picks up on it and they want to have something at market as soon as possible to kind of capitalize on the wave. So you get just like a whole influx of different types of products out there. And uh, she said one of the hard parts with that was, you know, really when you're talking about like a probiotic or these, these good gut bugs, we're trying to get them far enough down the digestion or far enough down the digestive tract so they can actually do some long-term benefits versus uh, not making it through like the stomach acid and that stuff. And uh, I thought that was kind of interesting because we, we've also done an episode with some digestive enzymes and one of their claims was that there is a lot of kind of crappy digestive enzymes out there and that the key is to find one that actually makes it through the stomach and into the, or through the small intestine and all that stuff. Um, and then when you start to unpack even further, there seems to be some sort of, sort of some, some degree of individual variances, even between men and women and then individuals and themselves as to how well their body's going to, going to process that or use that. Is that a topic that you found any insight in or dove into in the past? Yeah, it's it's one of my beefs with the whole probiotic industry in general is the idea that you know that that probiotics can actually somehow survive the acidic nature of the stomach or somehow seed or populate uh, the, the small intestine or, or the, the large intestine effectively when in fact there's, there's pretty scant research to show that that's the case. And furthermore, there's very little research to show that the type of microbiome testing a lot of companies are doing now, like genome sequencing of the gut to reveal certain bacterial deficiencies, uh, are giving you data that could actually be fixed by choosing specific bacterial strains, you know, taking a specific probiotic that company might be selling you to replace those strains that you've been shown to be deficient in. There's actually very little research that shows that to be the case. And, you know, as I just mentioned, also very little research to show that that probiotic is going to adequately seed the gut. We know that probiotics do seem to do things like affect mood, affect depression. We do know that, for example, athletes, and I'm sure you've seen this research, Zach, particularly in endurance athletes, that they do seem to have a different bacterial profile uh, than some of these non-athletes. And there's, of course, hypotheses out there. You know, And again, I think it was Outside Magazine that was the last mag that published an article on this about, you know, what if we did fecal microbiota transplants from some of these athletes into non-athletic individuals to enhance performance? Or, you know, what if you could figure out the probiotic strains that these athletes had and actually consume a probiotic supplement to allow you to have that same gut function and then potentially the same neurotransmitter production and, and performance as these athletes. But it, it's, it's all just pure hypothesis. I mean, I, I personally think that the best way to, to set up a, an ideal bacterial profile is to eat a wide variety of fermented foods uh, and or spend a great deal of time outdoors close to the dirt 
Uh, you know, there, there's even uh, uh, evidence that, you know, doing something like field dressing an animal, you know, in the dirt exposes you to a, to a wide variety of different bacterial strains. We know that children who grow up on farms in close contact with animals playing outside, getting dirty, you know, caring for livestock seem to have a very robust immune system partially based on their bacterial profiles, you know, and that that's, that's all based on, on this, um, you know, the, this concept of the hygiene hypothesis and, and that by, by living slightly dirty, you actually enhance the immune system, particularly by upregulating the, 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 the diversity of bacteria, uh, both in the gut and on the skin. And so I, I do agree with what you're saying that, that, uh, you know, that I think probiotic research is in its infancy and we can in no way prove that by consuming XYZ probiotic strain, we're actually allowing that to proliferate effectively in the gut. Uh, and, and furthermore, there's very little evidence that if you you've tested and you've shown yourself to be deficient in certain probiotic strains, you can replace those via specific probiotic administration. So, so yeah, I, I think a lot of these companies like, you know, some of the microbiome testing companies, it's just all a data play right now that will eventually result in actionable information. What I mean by that is if you go out and get your microbiome evaluated, you're always filling out a, a food questionnaire beforehand and also a symptom questionnaire. And it could be that five years from now, there will be enough data collected on food and symptom questionnaires and then the microbiome balance in the gut and the response to specific probiotic strains to where they can actually be able to 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 say that a certain strategy is working or a certain probiotic seeding the gut or certain dietary lifestyle modifications are actually causing that microbiome to shift somehow you know but right now they're just in in data collection phases and hypothesizing that that you could change the gut in a certain way you know the the way that I live though is I just eat a I eat a wide variety of fermented foods. I spend time outdoors. Uh, you know, I get dirty a lot, whether it's, whether it's in a Spartan race or, or hunting and bear crawling and belly crawling while I'm hunting and, you know, field dressing a wide variety of animals and, you know, playing with our goats and chickens here or gardening with my wife. And, and I think that's a far more natural way to expose yourself to a wide diversity of bacteria. Yeah, no, that's that's a lot of good information. You, you, you preempted my follow-up question, which was going to be the fecal transplant, because my thought was like, well, if you can't get it through the mouth, then you may as well go up the other end with it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, That's been shown to be, to be beneficial for a large number of individuals, particularly those who struggle with C. difficile. Um, you know, it could even be a, a life extension strategy for those folks who have increased risk of mortality due to a C. difficile affection, you know, and then there are folks like Jeff Leach, uh, and he has another researcher he's worked with, I forget the guy's name, who have done things like, you know, gone out and lived with, with hunter-gatherer tribes like the Hazda, for example, and even gone so far as to not just eat their food and live their lifestyle, but also, you know, have their, have, have their fecal matter transplanted in, into, the, into the colon of these researchers, you know, out, out in that tribal setting. And, and they've noted changes in mood and changes in overall health. But I think a lot of the research is in its, is in its infancy. Um, you know, and, and it's basically just kind of a, a, a subsection of, of the biohacking group who are out there, you know, finding a healthy donor and, 
and transplanting poop, but it, it seems to be effective for folks. And I, and I think if anything, that's the one route of administration that has been shown to effectively seed the gut with completely different bacterial strains and to actually affect pretty, pretty significant changes when it comes to overall gut function. Yeah, Ben, just, uh, just to, to sort of echo your sort of skepticism, there's a recent, couple of recent studies came out looking at, you know, stool samples where they look at, you know, fecal analysis of, of, of gut microbiota, and they compared it with actual biopsies of the, of the intestine where they actually went inside and got the actual intestinal microflora, and they found that those didn't exactly correlate for some reason. And so we, we don't even know how, how accurate that data is. So I, I would say that I share your skepticism of the, you know, the complete sort of complete lack of understanding we have on the complexity of this issue and, and, and what we, we have people out there making these proclamations and assumptions on, on very little, very limited data right now. And so I, I really all, often just kind of turn a skeptical eye towards people that tell me that, you know, having this particular blend of bacteria is the ideal thing for everyone's health. I just don't think it's anywhere near at that point. It's good business, though. You pay. You have people pay for the tests, and then you then they pay even more to buy the probiotics from you to replace what the test has been shown for them to be deficient in. I mean, you know, these companies are going to make a lot of money doing that. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, that's that's with that's kind of with everything. And I, I unfortunately, my computer went out, so I lost some of But I wanted to go back. You know, some of the blood flow restriction stuff. I think is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I I kind of when I was trained, when I still do this to some time. I would do like a, and I know you have like like an airdyne or an aerosol or you know, you know those you know those fan bikes which are just miserable, you know when you do those workouts and I and I found that yeah. for me for me and I and like I said I've, I've set world records on the concept two rowing machine I mean I've I've, I've I've blasted myself pretty hard but I still find those bikes to be probably the worst possible thing you can do to your body as far as you know how how miserable you can make yourself feel and so like a one minute all out sprint on one of those bikes when you truly go all out is, is literally a, a, you know, like a life altering experience. But I would find I would do those things and then I wouldn't, I would intentionally not move at all, you know, so that I wouldn't flush the lactate out of my, you know, out of my, out of my muscles and, 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 and force my body to deal with that, you know, through local processes rather than pumping it around with blood. And I think that's a similar concept. And I can tell you, it's not, those were not, a, not pleasant experiences for me, but they did result in, in, objective performance increases and so i'm just wondering if you know you see that if i'm just wondering you know if i haven't i haven't put the compression sleeves or on, on my arms or legs what is the uh sensation like i mean is it pain is it is, is there more pain with that or you said it was lower rpe so i assume maybe it's not that bad of an experience it's it's uncomfortable and you you definitely feel the, the the localized metabolic acidosis from the from the lactate buildup and um you know be, because you're not actually allowing it to be pumped out you know you you get you get a pretty intense burn and you know you you can buy pretty inexpensively blood flow restriction straps typically thicker ones for the legs slightly thinner ones for the arms from you know, Amazon, if you were to go there and do a search for BFR band training, and most of the research out of Japan is actually using a more precise tool called a Katsu device, which is more expensive, but which allows you to actually precisely dial in 
the millimeters of mercury that, or the, the, the amount of pressure uh, in MMHG that's, that's actually delivered to these little like elastic tubes via a device that compresses air into those tubes. And that's kind of like the gold standard if you really wanted to quantify the amount of pressure around the, around the joints. The blood flow restriction bands, if you get good ones, they have numbers on them, like one through 10. So you can approximate. Like I know when I put mine on, I'm at about a three for the arms about a three to a four for the legs. So, you know, you, you can also, of course, look for, for good venous return. Um, you know, if you compress the fingernails and the, and the toenails after you put these things on, you generally want blood to return, you know, if you compress those in about three to four seconds, just so you don't do, do a lot of damage as far as, you know, uh, cutting off too much blood flow. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty uncomfortable and, and really, I mean, it's like a, I think it's like a $40,000 machine, but these Vasper devices that, that pressurize, but then also introduce cold water into the cuffs, those seem to reduce some of the discomfort a little bit if, if you get the, the arms and the legs cold at the same time that you have the blood flow restriction bands on. So that's one strategy to mitigate some of the discomfort. But I mean, you know, for example, I just learned from San Diego where I was staying at a hotel that didn't have a gym. And, you know, my workout every other day was put the blood flow restriction bands on and I do uh, 30 squats, 20 push-ups, 10 pull-ups, and then go around to another round of uh, 30 lunges per leg. Uh, 20 dips and then 10 elastic band overhead presses and I kind of do an AMRAP of that for about 30 minutes and I mean it's a it's a highly effective strength training workout and you know I can maintain muscle just fine with that type of approach uh, they've even shown in, in trained individuals who are accustomed to lifting heavy weights that this can allow for muscle maintenance in those folks when they don't have access to heavy weights so I'm, I'm a fan of that style of training, um, you know, and, you know, I only brought it up just because it's, it's something I had done briefly, you know, like, uh, I guess it would have been almost uh, 16 years ago when I was bodybuilding, you know, I would use these tourniquets sometimes or just even tie old gym towels around my legs, around my arms while I was training. And, you know, I recently kind of rediscovered it of late and started using it again and, and, uh, I found it to be very effective and plus it's cool because, you know, I travel so much. I don't want to pack a bunch of, a bunch of weights in my bag or, you know, exercise equipment. So I can just throw these. Big it's, it's pretty effective. I, I haven't yet done this because I'm a little bit concerned about uh, the possibility for changing up biomechanics to the extent to where it might, you know, increase risk of injury, but I'm tempted to, to try them for like a, you know, like, like an actual run, you know, put, put BFR bands on the legs and try to go for a run and just see how that feels and, and what kind of response I get from that. But, um, that, that's something I plan on experimenting with pretty soon. Or maybe, maybe I'll just tell Zach to do it and get back to me with how it feels. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Zach could be up for that. Maybe for your next race, Zach, you see, see yeah. different, uh, different, uh, disadvantage. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things, I, and my assumption is, you know, you're, you're, you're impeding venous return only, you know, because uh, obviously if we get into arterial blood flow, then we're, then we're, then we're, we're, we're kind of causing significant problems. When I was a military trauma surgeon, you know, the, the concept of the field tourniquet was, was taking fire. We would get people turning, putting really tight tourniquets on every injury that came in. And sometimes it was to the detriment of the, of the actual people. You know, you know, like I said, if your arm gets blown off, 
yeah, I get a tourniquet on there, but we were getting tourniquets on every, like a sprained ankle would be showing up. These field medics would be throwing tourniquets on people. And I mean, we were, we were actually seeing some people who got overzealous with that. And so I, I would assume those blood flow restriction tourniquets or devices are calibrated so that so they don't impede arterial flow. I mean, I guess, I guess unless you put the leg ones on your arms or something like that, but that would be my assumption. If I'm, is that correct? I think, yeah, for the Katsu devices, but if you're just kind of cowboying with, with the bands that you would buy off Amazon, it's kind of, you know, proceed at your own risk type of scenario. But, but it, it's kind of interesting because similarly, and this, this would probably fall into the same category, you know, in cardiac medicine, they'll use something called enhanced external counterpulsation therapy, which are these giant boots, you know, they're like 70000 to $90,000 for, for this type of medical unit. Uh, you, you put them on and, and, and what it actually does is it squeezes, compresses the muscles during the, the diastolic phase of, of the heartbeat. And when you squeeze the muscles back and, and do that during the diastolic phase, they all actually use this to rebuild coronary vasculature uh, and, and improve vasculature to heart muscle uh, as kind of a, a cardiac recovery type of technique for people who have had like, like an MI or, or heart surgery. And I recently discovered something else that's kind of cool. Uh, if you if you don't have you know ninety thousand bucks lying around to buy a pair of these boots, if you want to work on on improving your your heart vasculature, uh, there is a device, uh, and this might be right up your alley, Zach, for for runs. There's a device called a counterpace, and it is uh, a heart rate monitor that you wear that detects your stride rate and also detects your heartbeat. And then you you put in a little set of headphones. And it will it will give you cues that allow you to match your stride rate to your heartbeat. And specifically, what that does is it means that if your stride rate is exactly matched to your heartbeat, every time your muscles pump as you're pushing off or striking the ground, they're actually doing so during the diastolic phase of the heartbeat. So you're getting venous return at the same time as the diastolic phase. And, you know, this is like an $80 heart rate strap and you actually learn how to time stride rate to heart rate in, in a very precise fashion. What I mean by that is if your, if your heart rate is at, let's say 180, then the cues you'll be getting from the heart rate monitor would be uh, to maintain a, a 90 uh, you know, like a 90 RPM stride rate, or if your heart rate is at, you know, 160, it'd be like an 80 RPM stride rate. And I've kind of been messing around with that tool too. It's called a counter pace. And uh, it might be kind of a very cool way to train the heart. I suppose I would fall into the category of, of a biohack to a certain extent, but that's another thing I'm experimenting with that, that I think could be a cool tool, especially for, for say like endurance athletes or, or folks who want to improve cardiovascular function. Yeah, you know, it, it brings training specificity to a whole new level, I guess. But have, did you notice when you started playing around with that that you had to alter the way you were running quite a bit, or were you fairly close yeah. just as is? No, I wasn't close. It's, it surprised me, and um, and and 
yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting to, to really try and truly match your heart rate to your stride rate. Cause you can't do that based on the feel, right? You need something monitoring your heart rate and then also at the same time monitoring stride rate and then giving you real time feedback. So yeah, the, and, and then it, it tells you for like a one hour run, for example, the percentage of time that you spent having heart rate and stride rate matched. And the first few times I used it, I was at like 10 to 15% in terms of my actual ability to be able to match stride rate to heart rate. And I've been able to get to up to about 60%. But, you know, my goal is to see if I can actually get it through like an entire run, or you could do this while walking too. you know, an entire brisk walk, maintaining 100% heart rate and stride rate correlation. Uh, I think it'd, it'd just be, you know, I, that, that kind of stuff always challenges me and, and uh, I'm interested to do it and see how my cardiovascular efficiency responds or if it changes something like heart rate variability or resting heart rate or, you know, any of those other measurements that I, that I make for cardiac or autonomic nervous system function. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I know just from looking at what my average cadence would be over a typical run that would be at like say 150 beats per minute that there's, there's no way I'm like close to anywhere near a hundred percent by any means, just by looking at the numbers of like a, you know, 180 cadence, which would be, you know, 90 per leg. And then, uh, you know, 150 for the heart rate. So it would stand to reason that I'm probably in single digits or so at that point, but it'd be cool to try that out. I might have to look into that. Yeah. You should mess around with it. It's called, uh, uh, I, I think it's counter pace is the name of the device. Okay. Hey, Ben, let me ask you, um, because this is something I start to, you know, as, as I sort of have gotten a little bit more sort of popularity, I suppose, I get approached with people trying to send, send me stuff to, to uh, try out or, or, you know, promote and stuff like that. Are you getting, do you, I imagine you're inundated with that stuff, and I'm just kind of wondering how you sort of navigate what, you know, this, like, stuff that doesn't align with uh, what, you, what you actually believe in. I mean, you just you know, basically, are you still getting a lot of people that send you a bunch of stuff that's, that's completely in your mind worthless? Yeah. I give a lot of shit to my brother and my neighbors and stuff like that. It's mostly, it's mostly supplements, like supplements will show up, you know, whatever. I mean, like, you know, every day seems like, seems like Christmas, but kind of like a shitty Christmas where it's, it's a bunch of stuff you didn't really want that shows up at your door that you got to unwrap and, and open up, you know, like, like, uh, the sweaters that your grandma used to send you that never fit anyways and were the, you know, the horrible color scheme that, that made you look like a nerd at Christmas parties. Well, I mean, it's the same thing you get, you know, I'll, I'll get, you know, whey protein with sucralose and acesulfami and, and I'll get these, you know, these, uh, you know, weak ass, whatever, you know, tens units that promise to give you a six pack abs and just, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff like that. And, yeah, I mean, um, you know, there are certain criteria I look for. Like I just, I've, you know, if it's, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, something with vegetable oils or artificial sweeteners or any, you know, anything like that, just it's kind of tossing the garbage or, you know, okay, devices will show up and, and they'll, they'll emit high amounts of Wi-Fi and, and Bluetooth and, you know, those usually get tossed out, but yeah, it's, uh, it's weird. People just send you stuff and, and want you to try it. And, um, you know, or they, they want you to feature it on Instagram and, and expect you to do it just cause they sent you some free, I don't know, like nut butter to your front door. But yeah, it is, it is kind of weird. You get all sorts of crazy stuff in this day and age and, you know, everybody's trying to launch a new product. So, 
Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a little bit annoying and, you know, my filtration mechanism, like I mentioned earlier, a big part of it is, you know, how much non-native EMF like a technology or device might produce. And then in the case of, of nutritional products, just, you know, uh, what what's in those natural or not. Like I, I got a bunch of baby food last night. Like company sent me a bunch of baby food and, um, and, it, and it's great. You know, I looked, I looked at the label. It's like uncured bacon with, with butternut squash. And you know, another flavor is like salmon with beef and that that's like all that's in it. And that's a product I'll certainly get behind and, and endorse because you know, some, sometimes like diamonds in the rough will show up like that. And you're like, Holy hell, this is actually pretty cool. That, Somebody's actually produced something like this, but yeah, nine times out of 10, it's just complete crap. Hey, Ben, let me talk a little bit more about the EMS stuff because there's a lot of concern about, you know, and, and, I, and I honestly, I have not really spent a lot of time researching and looking into this. And so perhaps you have, maybe you can comment on that, but there's people concerned with like the 5G network being rolled out and some of this stuff. What are your, what do you, what do you think there's good evidence out there that, sort of makes you be concerned about that where, where is the evidence coming from yeah uh i i forget the name of the website but i recently talked about it on a podcast a website that's basically just like a constant data feed of the ongoing body of research of the effects of non-native emf including 5g on calcium channels on risk of brain cancer on cognitive function on heart rate variability, on sleep percentages. I mean, most of it has a pretty significant impact. Some far less, like a class three Bluetooth signal is, is far less of an issue than a Wi-Fi signal or a 5G signal, for example. But I can tell you right now, I mean, the way I live, my entire house is hardwired with a metal shielded ethernet cable there is no Wi-Fi signal. I have no Alexa, no smart devices, no Philips Hue lighting system or anything else that runs on Bluetooth or, or Wi-Fi or anything like that. Um, I have dirty electricity filters installed in every room of the house to eliminate any power surges that would come from the municipal power. Um, I have grounding mats in nearly every room that are connected to a grounding outlet so I can stay grounded whenever I need to. Um, all, all of the lighting uh, eliminates flicker and also large amounts of EMF, meaning there's no LED. Uh, it's all uh, uh, full spectrum incandescent lighting. Uh, and then in areas of sleep, uh, red incandescent lighting. So there's nothing from the blue light wave spectrum. You know, all the computer monitors have anti-flicker software called Iris installed in them. Uh, you know, and so so my eyes aren't being bombarded with flicker and glare. My body isn't being bombarded with Wi-Fi or, or 5G or anything like that. My body is constantly earth, constantly grounded. And I can just tell you subjectively, when I travel, which I do a lot, uh, my, my sleep suffers considerably. My heart rate variability generally drops from an average of being in the eighties or the nineties down to being in the mid seventies to the lower eighties. My deep sleep percentage drops by about five to 10%. I mean, I, I see a, a host of issues that I think go way beyond just the circadian rhythm disruptions that might occur from travel because this will even occur for me, you know, cause I live on the Pacific time zone. If I'm in California, for example, and I think a, a big, big part of it is due to just the, the, you know, if, if I flip on my phone 
or my computer with the Wi-Fi on and I'm in a hotel in LA, I've got 20 different signals coming at me. When I do the same at home, there is nothing unless my Traeger grill is on because the Traeger grill has Wi-Fi that can't be disabled and I'm, I'm smoking some meat. You know, there's the, there's a Wi-Fi signal there. So there's few and few and far between. There's some exceptions, but I, uh, I, I will, I will accept being exposed to a, to a Wi-Fi signal for about two hours on a Friday if I just got to smoke a good ribeye. Uh, but, but other than that, yeah, I mean like I'm, I'm really careful with this stuff. There's a really good book called the, 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 um, non tinfoil hat guide to EMF by a guy named Nicholas Pinnell, which I think has the, the best amount of research in it combined with kind of a lay person's explanation of what this stuff does to your body and then how to, how to get rid of a lot of it. Yeah, I'm just wondering, you know, because obviously you've taken extensive measures, and I would say that most people probably don't have the means to do what you've done. So what would you say would be the top one or two things that people could do, just the average person that has sort of average access to, to resources? Uh, don't use your Wi-Fi unless you absolutely have to. You know, get, get a little adapter, USB or FireWire adapter for your computer and uh, plug into the ethernet port or turn off the wi-fi on your router and plug direct into your router you can buy shielded ethernet cables that are as long as 60 feet on amazon and as annoying as it is uh just plug yourself in whenever you can plug yourself in uh, buy a cheap ass grounding mat or earthing mat that you can stand on during the day while you're working at your office uh install the software iris on uh on your computer uh, put your phone in airplane mode uh, when you're not using it. And when you're using it, unless you absolutely need the Wi-Fi and the Bluetooth, have that off. Uh, and then probably the most important place to pay attention to things is your bedroom. Unplug as much as possible in the bedroom because, you know, if you're, if you're following natural sleep hygiene, you should be spending a third of your life in bed. And that's when a lot of, of memory consolidation and learning consolidation occurs. That's when a lot of nervous system repair and recovery occurs. And that's the time when you really want your body to ideally be protected from a lot of these signals. So, uh, so, so make sure that, that especially in the bedroom, you know, it's not where you want to park a Wi-Fi router. That's not where you want to have a lot of stuff plugged in and just make sure the bedroom is as clean as possible. If you're going to kind of target any one area of the house and then, you know, if you were going to, if you want more information, I'd say read that book by Nicholas Pinault. Uh, and also I have one podcast that I did on building biology where I had a building biologist come to my house for the whole day. And I just followed him around with a microphone and recorded everything he did, everything he tested, every modification he recommended, every device he recommended to, to mitigate the effects of EMF. Um, everything he tested that produced more EMF than expected. And uh, that, that would be eye-opening for a lot of people too. That was an interview with uh, Brian Hoyer on building biology. Uh, if you search for that at bengreenfieldfitness.com, it, it should come up. Ben, what is, the, what is the role between a grounding pad and EMF? Is, there, is that something that can help to mitigate or reverse the effects of EMS? Or, or, because we've talked yeah. about grounding in the sense of maybe yeah. oxidative stress. So how, does, how, do those things, how are those things interrelated? Yeah, certainly. I'll, I'll explain it. And by the way, I, I should warn you guys, I have, I have a, uh, a, a phone call coming up here in about uh, five minutes I got to get to. So I'll, I'll reply to this question and then I might have to wrap up pretty soon after that. But the, uh, the cells, you know, the, the, the gradient, the electrochemical gradient across the cell membrane uh, is typically at about negative 60 to negative 70 millivolts. 
and exposure to EMF and also not touching the earth frequently tends to keep that sometimes up above negative uh, 30 millivolts or higher, which drastically affects cellular function uh, and also the, the proper electrochemical gradient across the cells. One of the best ways to bring that gradient back down to where it's supposed to be is via exposure to a negative signal, particularly negative ions, which are emitted by uh, the surface of the earth, particularly uh, if it's after a lightning storm or something like that, that's a very good time to go out for a walk barefoot because you're just getting exposed to tons of negative ions. Uh, the second best thing is the ocean. Uh, the ocean is actually, you know, like walking on the sand along the beach or jumping in the ocean or like a salty body of water. That, that also exposes you to a lot of negative ions. Uh, and that, that helps to restore that proper gradient. Uh, there's a book called The Body Electric by Robert Becker, which really does a good job explaining how this gradient works and how really we're all just kind of a giant battery. And you cannot expect if your body is a giant battery to not pay attention to the actual charge of that battery and have optimized cellular function. And so you know, concrete is a poor conductor, asphalt is a poor conductor, the rubber soles of shoes are a poor conductor, but you can fix some of that by, you know, being barefoot or even using some of these shoes that, you know, there are companies like Earth Runners and Plugs that build uh, copper conductors into the, into the surface of the shoes to allow you to absorb a lot of those ions. And then in your house, I mean, you can put a grounding mat under the top sheet of the bed, you can put a grounding mat uh, you know, in your office where you might stand or sit during the day. Uh, there's even a, a guy named Clint Ober who actually wrote a really good book called Earthing. And he, he sells just like little clips you can attach to your body if you don't have a mat where you can just ground yourself whenever you want to ground yourself by attaching one of these clips. It's got a long cable. It's like 30 feet long and you can just plug that clip uh, or plug the other end of the cable into either any of your wall outlets or even, this sounds funny, but you can actually just like flip it outside in your backyard and it comes a little stake and you can just like stake that into your yard and be grounded during the day while you're at work or, you know, reading a book on your couch or watching a movie or whatever. So, you know, it sounds kind of nerdy, but, uh, you know, human beings were meant to be in contact with the planet that we live upon to swim in the water on that planet that we dwell upon to climb trees, to be on rocks, to, to just basically be living in close contact with nature and, even though it can be difficult to simulate that when it seems like we're so disconnected living in these concrete jungles, I think it's, it's an important element of, of overall health to focus upon. Yeah, that sounds like uh, just get outside and be outside, and that's going to solve a lot of the problems. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to respect your time, let you get out of here. Tell people where they can find you real quick so, so they can get, get a hold of more stuff that you have. Yeah, I'm just at, at bangreefillfitness.com, and then um, – I'm also writing a big book right now and it's called boundless it's at uh, boundlessbook.com. That'll come out in, uh, in January and I'll be sure to send you guys a copy when it comes out. If you want, if you want to check it out. Yeah. I'd love to love to, Ben. Thank you very much. Awesome, Ben. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, any chance you'll be at Spartan Whistler in a month? No, I'll be at Tahoe though. I'll be racing. Oh, okay. Cool. I asked, I'm going to be up in Whistler. Uh, I work for ultra footwear and they're helping out up there and asking me to come. So I was, thinking when you mentioned Spartan before that maybe you'd be up there, but uh, uh, I'll hopefully catch you at one. I did the Ironman up there. It's a, it's a beautiful area. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I can't wait to get up, get up there and check it out, but uh, you have a good rest of the day and, and enjoy your next phone call. Thanks again for coming on. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on.
Hey folks, Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing and due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.